Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. This is Teachings in the Air with Sahilthit, a.k.a. Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is about identity, about what is indigenous. You know, I wanted to do this podcast for a while now because of um, I see some of my relatives they're uneasy or even suffer around this whole topic of identity. When I think about, you know, authority and rights to identity, because identity is about sameness, it was so easy and clear at the beginning uh, before contact with Europeans, because all the statlium had an identified territory they occupied and used, and there's the same language, the same music, the same ceremonies, everything's the same. So you didn't have to hunger for sameness. You were born and raised in it. And the authority and rights to identity, my imagination in those times was in the hands of the grandmothers, the elders. It would say who is who. I know they would adopt people that they respect and they seen it had a good heart and good mind. That that was happening in my imagination in those days. That was statlium identity. That was being indigenous as a statlium person. You know, on my journey, I grew up in an um, indigenous community. They call it the Seton Lake Indian Band. You know, and uh, there's all statlium. So I didn't have to wonder about sameness when I was a child. Because I'd look around, all the houses were statlium people. You know, and I grew up in an inclusive home and community. 
You know, there's no doubt of who Jerry was and who his parents were and his grandparents that I was Statlium. Even though as a child I didn't hear us identified as Statlium, we were the Indians. But I grew up in that home where everyone was an active participant in our life. We pack water, we cut wood, we work in the garden, we pick berries, you know, we work together. We were inclusive. We were a group, a good functioning team of human beings. And it's the same out in the community when I was a child. I tell people the story. My brother and I would say to our mother, we're going swimming over at Anderson Lake, which was at the other end of the community. It was like a four-mile four walk. We'd pick berries and go over. That would be our lunch, and we'd swim. Oh, it was beautiful, this river that connected the two lakes where I'm from. Oh, there's a beautiful swing that we could swing over the river and drop into the river, and it's a clear river. Oh, we just loved it there. Then we decided, oh, we better go home. So we start walking home. We get halfway. This elder sees us, and it's starting to get dark now. And he says, ah, Shimacha, he's calling us. Come here. So we go off to his house. And he says, you must be hungry. And he was had his supper, and he shared it with us. And then he um, says, it's dark now. And he didn't have a vehicle. He says, you sleep here. You go home in the morning. We said, oh, okay, no questions, no fear, nothing. And he laid out blankets for us on the floor, and my brother and I sleep there. Feeds us breakfast in the morning, and we take off and go home. When I think about it, there was no worry or concern from my parents because we were in an inclusive community. And I think about that, it was beautiful. It's a beautiful memory for me. So that's where I grew up. And then my journey took me to school, the day school. And it's the first time I started to get this, hey, I'm different, and to feel excluded. The teacher, you know, I made mistakes, a lot of mistakes in that first time I was doing arithmetic, adding and take we are minus. I remember my page was covered with X's. And I've been slapped around the ears and the face and both sides of my head. And that's when we start, I started to hear the word stupid Indian. Little did I realize that that term was a created identity 
that I was going to be walking through life, that people were following a path that was set out for them and what indigenous people were, that were stupid, that were inferior, created identity. This created identity business, we can do it for ourselves too. Like I was a drinking man and I drank and I had the identity of being a drunk, alcoholic. I created an identity by drinking. The same was for us, that our first identity that we received as indigenous people was pagan, savage, heathen peoples. Simply because we didn't know Christ, we didn't even know he existed. So that identity put on us was to create fear of us as uh, peoples. And also, in my imagination, that it would be okay to do whatever you want with those people because they're not humans, because they're not Christians. You know, on a, that was from grade 1 to grade 12. I was in fear of making mistakes. And education wasn't a good road for me. You know, that um, that identity of stupid. You know, I've, I experienced fear and humiliation by being beaten in front of my fellow students. And I wasn't the only one that happened to a lot of us. Why this created identity? Of course, it was to get to the resources in this land called Canada, which has, a, of all the countries in the world, Canada is the second largest in regards to land mass. And such a diversity of resources in this country is wealthy compared to a lot of countries. So that uh, experience of being something that wasn't positive, I hungered for sameness. I wanted to belong. And it felt like I didn't belong. Many times in my life, I didn't know my language. I didn't know songs, indigenous songs, you know, or hand drum songs. I hadn't been to ceremony. You know, I went hunting with my dad and fishing, I'd done that. That felt good. Learning those ways and picking berries. But the part that I was looking at in, in those days as glamorous was the singing and the dancing and the ceremony. I hadn't had that. So I didn't feel indigenous enough. You know, the harm that come from created identities was, of course, low self-esteem, my value of myself. 
That's why I feel it was so easy for me to abuse my body with alcohol and drugs. My life became hateful to me. Not to others, but to Jerry, to Sahilset. Didn't feel right. I heard this term, white is right, black step back, brown step down. And I became rebellious when I heard that. You know, and that, um, the rebellion, though, I'd hear I'd, my friends and I would say, you want to see drunk, I'll show you drunk and we'll drink. That saddens me today to say that. That's the only way we felt we could rebel. We're young minds, of course. You know, oppression was there and we knew it. And we knew that... Um, that there are consequences to rebellion. Or saying no. Like my mom's dad said no when they were going to take my mother to residential school. And he went to jail for six months. Of course, I wasn't even a thought then, but I was told this story by my mother, my late mother. And I wonder today how it impacted my grandfather's identity. And he rebelled, he said no. And there was consequences for him because of that. And I look back now, I say he was indigenous. He was, he would stand up to what he felt was wrong. So this is, uh, you know, the created identity. When I think of it now, the first, the very first, for us as indigenous people was that word Indian. I got to hate that word because of all the negative things that were attached to it. You stupid Indian, you crazy Indian, you lazy Indian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I had this wonderful teacher from Nova Scotia, Migama elder. Very brilliant, very kind, compassionate teacher. I was so lucky to have him as my elder. <laughs> and he says to me, you know why they call us Red Man Jerry? And I says, no, elder, I don't. Because I, I think about it before that, and I'd be confused, and i look at myself, I said, I'm not red. <laughs> and he says, well, there was a simple reason that... Uh, I guess he figured out, or he was told, maybe by his elders, that when they came and they seen the Mi'kmaq, in the summer they seen them in the summertime and they were covered in red ochre. 
know that finely ground earth, red rock, made into a powder mixed with oil. They spread it all over their body as a mosquito repellent. And I says, oh, that makes sense to me. They look red. (laughs) So that identity of red man. I don't know. It makes sense to me, and I agree with my elder. That's maybe that's why they call us red man. And uh, he's, he was teaching us, and he says, Jerry, because we're talking to, we're training people in workshops and things. And he says, I, see, I you know, the, we're talking about the Indian Act, and I, I see you when, you when you hear the word Indian, you tense up. So I told him, yeah, I said, um, I don't like that word. So he says to me, Jerry, do you know how they call us Indians? I said, of course. He said, you know, Christopher Columbus was looking for India. And he says, Jerry, in 1492, there wasn't a country called India. And I looked at him, I says, oh. He says, actually, this is what I think it comes from. He says, when Christopher Columbus landed in the Caribbean, and the people there greeted him when he touched land, got off his ship. And he's looking at these people walking towards him, and they were healthy. Stand tall and straight, clear-eyed, clean, beautiful, dignified-looking people. And Christopher Columbus said, Indios? He says, they're like gods. (laughs) When my teacher told me that, I said, you can call me Indian every day if you want. (laughs) Because I believe that, too, from my teacher. That teacher taught me so much about energy, about healing. So that identity, created identity, has done a lot of harm. Our youth today, insecure, at times about being indigenous. Don't know a word in their language. Don't know a song. Never been to a ceremony. Never hunted and fished. That's why I wanted to talk about identity today. As you know, once I stepped onto the healing road, The doorway was to go to a ceremony with an elder. And he welcomed us young people to the ceremony. And it's the first time I'd ever seen a sweat lodge like that. You know, I'd been to sweat with my uncle, just the two of us. You know, and, and then when I went to this ceremony, by this elder, there was music. My uncle didn't do music. 
just man was singing beautiful songs, praying in the language. Voice filled with emotion. When we first come in, he says, thank you for being here. You're welcome here. This was built for you. Don't worry. If you don't understand or you don't know, I know that many of our people don't know. He was such a wise elder. And he says, I'm going to be singing and praying in my language. But don't worry, I have a translator here. He'll translate what I'm saying for you so you can be part of the ceremony. And he was so inclusive, it just oozed out of him, you know, and we felt safe and we felt, I remember I was sitting there and at times I had tears in my eyes. I felt it. And when you feel, you heal. Oh, he starts singing, praying. Then the translator, one point said, he's praying for his grandchildren. And that elder was weeping. He says he wants them to have teachers when he's gone to keep them on the right road. And I felt that ceremony. I felt that sincerity from that elder. And I said, I want what that man has. And it was the start of my going home to be indigenous. And I was at a political gathering heard this indigenous leader say, I'm in the beginning stages of decolonizing myself. And I latched on to that word, decolonize myself. And I started and I figured out, for me, what decolonizing means. It means I'm not going to act like a colonizer, or talk like a colonizer. Because, you know, my growing up, I, my elders didn't use foul language or swear words. And they'd speak their language and translate And one of them actually told me, you know, we don't do that. We don't call people down. We don't belittle people. We don't say harsh words to them. That's being indigenous. So I said, I decolonize myself. I'm not going to do that. Of course, I don't drink alcohol because that's a colonizer's brought the rum in. <laughs> in my life, too, I said, I'm not going to fund their movement against us because uh, liquor stores are owned by the government's control boards. And they get a lot of taxes and, you know, a lot of people drink. And I said, I'm not going to contribute to that anymore. I remember I heard this man from the United States says, stand up and be counted. And we were at a sobriety event. Stand up and be counted. And we all stood up. And, we were, and I felt the same there. 
I remember that feeling of empowerment. You know, I heard and saw role models, young people my age and some of them even younger. And I was in my mid-20s now. They're walking around, growing their hair out, using medicine, smudge bowls, feathers, hand drums, building sweat lodges, using words in the language. And they were my role models about feeling good about who I was. Wonderful role models. You know, and I just hear them chanting. I remember the first time I heard them. Standing around the fire, of course. <laughs> and they were doing music. And I could hear it in their voice, and I could see it in their eyes and their posture. That they were totally all right in their own skin, being indigenous. Oh, I was watching them, and I said, I want that. And I was watching from a distance. You know, I wouldn't go right up to them, because I was insecure about being indigenous. There's one man seen me watching, and he calls me over. He says, yeah, join us. And I said, I don't know how to sing. He says, well, you'll learn. You'll stand with us. Inclusiveness. He welcomed me into the circle, and I stood there. <laughs> he says, you fake it till you make it. <laughs> so I'm there with him. And we're doing this chant, Hey yo, 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 hey. And they put these words in there. D-I-E, I'm not your Indian. D-I-E, I'm not your Indian. D-I-E, I'm not your Indian. Hey, oh, hey, hey, oh, hey. And I started singing that song, and I was taking away that identity of Indian. I'm Statlium. DIA is the Department of Indian Affairs. I remember they put that identity of me of being an Indian when I got my first status card. It's called the Indian Status Card. And it was, I applied for my status card with a number on it and the name of my band, and it was given to me by the Department of Immigration in Canada. How weird is that, that an indigenous person getting an immigrant card? Shows you the arrogance of those governments. And that protecting what they have when they used those tools of colonization, like the doctrine of discovery. Complete 
political and economic control of the indigenous people. Take away our hereditary leaders, take away our ceremony, tell us how to live, how to be an Indian. Of course, uh, now I'm in the healing road and I'm not your Indian anymore. Now I'm indigenous. Start to grow my hair. Start to use medicines. Making tea, fasting, cleansing. Doing all of those indigenous things. <laughs> now also I knew how to approach elders, which was so simple and just go sit with them. Don't ask for anything. And eventually they're going to start to teach you. And I started to do that. One elder say, this is a teaching for you. He say, be careful and sincere with your words when you're speaking to people. That's a wonderful teaching. When I talk to people, I'm careful. I'm sincere. I mean it. When I talk about healing or I talk about identity, I'm careful and I'm sincere. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. If I do, I'm sorry. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful to me to be indigenous. Because to me, indigenous is in, about inclusivity. Not othering people or putting people down just because they're different or because of who they are. I've seen my community take in white people because they had a good heart and a good mind or because one of our relatives started living with them, they take them in. Become just like us. Some of them weren't good people, but, you know, we didn't put them down. To me, it's amazing how that, how we are. I'd hear the term, all my relations, or we're all one. And that's about inclusivity. You know, welcome to our circle. You know, as long as you're respectful. I've seen that. I heard it. I'm part of it. That healing road.
first off, to be comfortable with who I am. I was told that um, I'm part Spanish and part Irish. So I'm in mixed blood. And I, today I'm okay with that. You know, I don't know how much or... I just, I know that I, I am mixed blood. I accept that. I was talking to youth once, and there was indigenous youth and Métis youth, and we're in a circle. And I was teaching them how to chant, sing for our supper. We're having supper. I said, okay, and everybody in the circle can sing for our supper. And I noticed some of them really uneasy. And I told them, you know what, you're all part of the circle. We're all one because we're shoulder to shoulder in this circle. Because some of them were Métis and mixed blood and they have. And there was indigenous people from reservation that were the same, you know. They had reddish hair, blonde hair, some of them blue eyes. Difference in the pigment or coloring of the skin. And I tell them, this elder is welcoming you and wants you to help me sing. I said, I told them, you know, you look at me, and I'm obviously indigenous. I said, but I have Irish and Spanish in me, and I accept it. I said, I can't take out a knife and cut my arm open and let out the Irish and the Spanish in me. That's impossible. It's there forever, I said. So I want you to help me. I said, an elder told me, you know, and we're talking about identity and mixed blood and things, and um, this one elder told us, because this has been a problem, we have started treating people mean that are non-status or mixed blood as indigenous people, some of us. Some did it. Remember this elder saying, you know, every, you know, and you look at the colors in the medicine wheel, and you look at the Europeans, we call them white man, white people. And he says, all, every group has a gift. And the white people got the gift of movement. Look at they come to North America, South America, New Zealand, Australia, to the moon, now to Mars, you know. They got the gift of movement. They're moving constantly. They move away from their homeland. No problem. Then they say that we're the red man or we're the indigenous people. We got the gift of vision. We can see consequences of overhunting, of overfishing, of harming Mother Earth. So we we didn't do that because of that gift of vision. We can our people could see consequences. So he says. So if you have European and indigenous in you. 
consider the gift that you got two gifts, the gift of movement and the gift of vision. You were saying Asians have the gift of time, that they have this patience about them. This is his observations. And I took them to heart. So I have gifts in me from my European ancestry. And I took that to heart because I moved. I traveled across Canada. I traveled down to the United States and different parts of the world. I didn't want to at first, but once I started, it wasn't a problem. It's probably that Irish or Spanish ancestry in me. <laughs> you know, this understanding that we're all one. We're in this together. Human beings. Uchul miuch. Ul means original, and miuch is referring to temiuch. Mother Earth, holder of all the gifts. We're all connected to this Earth. And we all can impact it. My wish is that we be the same. Like the elders that I've been talking about, how accepting they were, and how helpful they were, how healthy they were kind, compassionate people. In my view, the real elders accepted people with good hearts and good minds, interacted with them, and at times would live with them. It's a... You know, and I think of the, our, our people that accomplished, that became successful. To me, a lot of them didn't have a, an identity problem. They were totally comfortable in their own skin, so nothing was holding them back. They were resilient. I'd hear stories like, say, Jim Thorpe, for instance, the wonderful athlete, the gold medal athlete. You know, there are many of Billy Mills, another gold medal athlete from the United States. And I think of all of the men and women that fought in the First and Second World War and the Korean conflict. Indigenous would go and fight for what's right to protect the people. My dad was one of them, my late father, my late uncles. Second World War. Put down that statue, my identity, and went to fight as Canadians to protect the people living in Canada. That is a high calling, that's a high road, you know, put aside their differences. They're still here today, <laughs> you know, I know that. 
but it is changing. You know, I use the term real elder. To me, they're healers, they're philosophers, they're teachers. They didn't talk blood quantum, what's right or what's wrong. When they talk about what's wrong, they'd be encouraging people to change. That understanding that we all need each other and we all need to work together. Oh, I get filled with pride when I see indigenous graduates in universities and colleges. And I see them wearing a feather or regalia over their graduation robes. I'm just so filled with pride. And I see that's indigenous. <laughs> I remember um, my daughter graduated high school. And she is indigenous. Comfortable in her own skin. <laughs> she says, grade 12, she says, Dad, I, I don't want a gown. I want a buckskin dress. Okay. So I went out and gathered buckskin. My sister made the dress. My late sister. My late mother made the moccasins. She had a nice, she had her hair braided, and she had a nice brooch with a plume on it. And, uh, oh, beautiful. I remember. I borrowed the camera because I wanted to take pictures of her. And because she was on the principal's roll of honor, she led the procession out. And she had a white guy on each side of her. <laughs> and I was looking at indigenous I was so proud, I had tears in my eyes. I had a hard time to take pictures. I don't even think I took any that were worth anything. I have a picture, though. And that's being indigenous in a white society. I've seen many examples of that where our people, when they put their mind to it, they can rise to the top in those systems and show the people what we're capable of. And that's being okay being indigenous. I got no problem with it. If you have a problem, that's your problem. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I want you to Acknowledge all the ones that never gave up on our indigenous identity. 
They dug their heels in and say, no, I'm going to do a ceremony. You can put me in jail, do whatever you want. I'm going to continue. I'm going to hunt. I'm going to fish. I'm going to pick berries. I'm going to do what our people have done since the beginning of time. Let's acknowledge them. It means let's confess those are beautiful people. And all the ones that were scooped up and taken away from their culture. We welcome them back. It doesn't matter if they don't know who their people are, because sometimes I've heard people say that. I'd say, what, what ancestry are you? I was asking that to a young lady in one of my circles. Let's introduce ourselves and say what ancestry we were from. You know, because I knew that identity... I realized identity is an issue for many people. It got to her and she says, um, said her name and where she's from, where she was living. I went up to her after the, we were having a break, and I said, can I ask you why you didn't want to identify? And she looked at me and she said, Jerry, I don't know. You know, I'm part of the 60 scoop stuff. Right away, I was shaking my head at myself, and I said, oh, I'm sorry that I was pushing you to tell you to identify yourself. And you didn't want to because you don't know. I told her, I accept you as who you are. You are indigenous. That teaching of being careful and sincere come back to me. You know, and I see youngsters being uneasy at times and sometimes resentful. And they're saying, why didn't I have that? Why didn't I have a vision quest? Why didn't I have a naming ceremony? Oh, my life changed. And my grand auntie says, you're Patsy. My great-grandfather's name. My identity as Statlium strengthened then. Then I received other names, indigenous names. So I feel when people don't have that, and I wish I could give them a name, make a name for them. And I have done that for some people. And I see their appreciation. So this podcast is about healing ourselves. Remember, all meaningful change comes from within us. So if you know you have indigenous in you, accept that. If other people don't accept it, that's their problem. I don't want you to take their problems on. Jerry accepts it. If you come up and tell me that my great-grandmother was a Cree or my grandfather or whoever, or whatever nation, I have no reason to doubt you. 
there are people that take advantage of that and want to take advantage of it, but that's their problem, like I say, when people ask me, because identity theft, and usually uh, it's a big problem when it's about money, it's about resources. I tell them, an indigenous way of believing that a person's lying and doing something wrong, they're going to suffer for that eventually. It's going to catch up to them. Justice will be done just by the old law of what goes around comes around. You know, so I encourage you, wherever you are, you know, like when I go to a different country, I was with the Carrier people, Fort St. James, and those areas. I learned how to say hello in their language, Hadi, Hadi, you know. Not trying to appropriate, but just being respectful to them. Same as nice and co-salish, each while, see them. How are you doing, you know? Oh, no, no, I, I learned some of those phrases. I believe we must do that. It's like that old saying, when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. So I do my best. Go with the Crees, I'll say Tansi. I'll say Nietzsche. You know, I know a few words here and there. That's about shoring up identity for everyone. I used to say, geez, we lost our language. And one of my cousins said, no, Jerry, we didn't lose it. It was stolen. It was taken from us, beaten out of us. I said, by golly, you're right. Because I grew up not feeling indigenous enough by not knowing my language. And when I'd say words, people would say, what are you trying to say? Because I couldn't pronounce it properly. I remember I resented my parents for not teaching me the language. I didn't hear them, but I know they made a deal amongst each other. They're not going to speak the language in front of us. And I asked my dad about it. And he says, because I wanted you to go out and make a success of yourself in the world. I said, oh, but it's still, I still resented my mom and dad for not teaching me. I felt it was unfair. Because I'd hear some of my, my peers speaking the language from another community, and I hungered for that. I wanted that sameness. And I carried that resentment. So unfair of me. Then I told my mother once I was making a video with the Pan-Tikton people, Okanagan, Cecile, about residential school. And she said, oh, yeah. She says it's the first time she talked to me about her experience. She said, yeah, we went to St. Mary's. And our first language was Stetlium. He said, 
we'd go there and speak and we could speak in our language and we get slapped. Disciplined for speaking our language. He says, oh, it was hard for us, he says, because that's all we knew. They'd drop us. If we kept speaking our language, he says, once they sprinkled uncooked rice on the floor and the girls that were speaking the language had to kneel on those rice kernels holding up Bibles in their hand. If they let their hands fall, they get strapped. And she's saying, you know, and some girls just wouldn't stop. It's all they do is speak their language. And she said they shaved their heads. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm shocked. I'm not saying anything. And then she says, and then it got so bad that uh, they were even sticking needles in the tongues of girls for speaking their language and these nuns. And right then and there inside of myself, I forgave my mother and father for not teaching me the language. You know, that part of my identity I struggle with, even till today. But I'm learning the language word by word. I have a dictionary. I still struggle with pronunciation. But I learn words. I know songs. I embrace that part of my identity. I do ceremony in my way. I tell people today I'm a proud pagan, which simply means I practice the way of my people to the best of my ability. One of my elders said, I don't question anybody how they do a ceremony. If they found out that's how they do it or they're taught that's the way they do it, I got no business telling them to change it. No business, he said. Such a wonderful elder. Colonial way, I think we criticize each other, belittle each other at times, and we must stop that. We must encourage our youngsters to say what indigenous is. Indigenous is being respectful, being generous, to value knowledge, to know about compassion and love, you know, to, to practice the way our people lived. When we lived that way, there was no extinction. Was there mistakes between us? Yes. Was there a war between the tribes? Yes. I don't want to sound sanctimonious, holier than thou. Yes, we had troubles, but we knew how to fix them. I think the most part that I'd like to close off this podcast was saying that we did not other people. We wouldn't stoop down to being mean-spirited, mean-tongued. You know, one of my examples is, and I've said this before, you know, we were discouraged from making fun of people with mental health issues. You know, at least I was. You know, we couldn't make fun of people. 
because of the way they were. One of my examples in my life was Pahosh. My grandmother raised Pahosh. And he was mental disability. He was like five or six years all his life. That's how old he was. He never matured, never. But we didn't make fun of him. My people took care of him. After my granny passed away, the community built him a little log house. Stayed there till he went to the spirit world. Inclusiveness. You don't shun people for being different in an indigenous way. It was so solid that that law, that protocol, we didn't even have to talk about it, but we'd remind each other, no, you don't do that, that's not our way. That's a beautiful way. So let's celebrate our identity, no matter how much it is. If you're half, quarter, sixteenth, just be glad that you got it. If I was going to do the math on my identity, I'd be maybe a third Statley. I'm a third uh, Irish, a third Spanish. I don't know. It's, it's even silly for me to say that. But if I was going to do that, but I think Statlium. I live indigenous as much as I can. You know, I got all the, I'll say the bells and whistles. I drive a vehicle. I got a recording studio in my basement. I got drums. I got stereos. I got a TV, you know, so I'm part of, I guess you can say it all. But I surely do treasure the indigenous worldview, indigenous art, indigenous music, indigenous people. That's what I value. That's what I love. And I know it's inclusive. That it is. It's about inclusivity. I tell people, and I make my first hand drum. Oh, it's so beautiful. I had to do it over. I don't know how many times. I'm looking at it. That's a beautiful drum. Teacher says, you have to give it away. Because you know? <laughs> that's being indigenous. Building relationships. And I was taught, you don't give away to your relatives. You give away to somebody else because then you're going to build a relationship with that other family. And when you need help, they'll come and help you. That's being indigenous. That's indigenous identity. Being generous, being kind, being helpful. It's a good way. In my mind, I said to myself, every human being at one time was indigenous. They're connected to the land in Europe as Spanish, as Irish, as Celtic, as Italian, and we're hunter-gatherers too. So it shouldn't be a big leap for us to go back to those indigenous values of generosity and respect and thinking and 
generations, not fiscal years, not to corporate values, but indigenous values that 560 years from now our descendants are going to have clean water, deer meat to eat, plants to eat, going to have a life like we do. That's being indigenous. We need to go back to that. So I encourage you to embrace yourself as who you are. You know, and uh, embrace the values and the protocols of being grateful, being supportive. That golden rule, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated is so true and so common sense. Indigenous people had that. I'd even say maybe we created it. (laughs) Yeah, so... You know, this... It feels good to accept yourself. So that's what I'd like to close off with that. Encourage you. And to do your best. To look after yourself. Look after Mother Earth. Look after the people. It's a good way of life when you live that way. Every goodness you do will come back to you. When my auntie said, maybe it'll be a big circle before that goodness and generosity you give out will come back to you, but it will come back. And I believe that. So you take care of yourself and you learn one word, one indigenous word a day. Learn to dance, learn to sing. Ask someone to take you to ceremony. Because the ceremonies are all about healing, all about goodness. Use the medicines that Mother Earth gave us. Cedar grows out of the ground. It doesn't say it's just for indigenous or sage or any of the medicines. It's for the human beings. You know, so... Pandemics here... Use the medicines. Strengthen your spirit. Strengthen your immune system, your body. Strengthen your mind. We must. That's how the indigenous people survived the smallpox, Spanish flu, different pandemics. Racism to me is a pandemic. We survived it by using indigenous ways, indigenous way of life. And we're still here. We're still going strong, and we got beautiful people that have succeeded, have made it. Shows us that we can all do that, as indigenous people. So, I just like to say, it's a good day to be Uchumiuch, to be a human being from planet Earth. You take care. Be safe. Role model for the children. They're relying on us. 